Hello, Bulak listeners. As you know, we're taking a bit of a break this summer, uh, but we have picked some of our favorite older episodes to rerun in the meantime. This one is from January 2020 when Marsha and I were both in Cairo, and we recorded this interview with editor, translator, and critic Yasmin Zohdi about making and experiencing art in times of political repression. Welcome to episode 42 of Bulak. This is Ursula Lindsay, and with me is Marsha Links-Qualey, and also a special guest for this episode, Yasmin Zohdi, who we'll be introducing more fully in a few minutes. Um, we are super excited to be starting the new year, starting the new season, recording an episode in Cairo. Uh, in fact, in the back room of a friend's apartment in Cairo... <laughs> Uh, so if you hear a little bit of noise of traffic or of birds, uh, that's just the price you have to pay for an episode recorded out in the field. Uh, and, um, but anyway, we're, we're very happy to be in Cairo. It's a city where Marsha and I lived, uh, and that's very close to our hearts. Uh, we were both here in 2011 during the Arab Spring. Obviously today, the circumstances in Egypt are very, very far from what they were then. Um, uh, so we're in a context uh, that is quite repressive uh, ever since uh, the current military regime took power back in 2014. And um, we're seeing, you know, mass arrests, mass human rights abuses, uh, very little tolerance for dissent. Um and for mobilization, really, not just of, of Islamists, but of civil society in general and, and political forces. Uh, and yet, within that context, um, people are people and projects that are very interesting uh, are still soldiering on. And uh, that brings us to Yasmin, <laughs> who is still soldiering on, apparently. So um, I... I came to know Yasmin because I wanted to... So Yasmin is a writer, translator, and culture editor at Madama. So I came to know Yasmin because I wanted a story uh, by Mohammed Al-Hajj um, in the uh, in Arab Black Quarterly magazine. And I had put out some kind of tweet like, oh my gosh, I really want this story. Who wants to translate it? And I did get about... Um, 12 different people immediately emailing me saying, me, me, it's mine, mine. But um, Yasmin sort of made them <laughs> the most persuasive case, um, being married to the author. And also when she turned, you know, it's the, the sort of beautiful work that when somebody mails it to you, you, you want to weep because, um, you know, whatever, as an editor of a publication, you get a range of of things that you work on with with authors and and that feels good too one always likes to help an author make their work the best but then sometimes you get something in the mail that's that comes absolutely beautiful just the way it is um and that's how I came to know Yasmin and I'm absolutely delighted to know her so um also um a talented writer and thinker about culture and what culture means, what cultural criticism is, um, 
how you practice culture under difficult circumstances. And uh, and so thank you so much for being here. Mm, thank you for such a great introduction, really. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to be recording this episode with you guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And so, uh, Ursula, maybe you could talk about so that this essay that we read and which first gave us the idea that we wanted to have Yasmin on the show. Yeah, in addition to we really loved um, that uh, translation of the excerpt of um, of your husband's book um, that was titled Nobody Cares About... Nobody Mourns the City's Cats. Nobody Mourns the City's Cats, um, which we like raved about in a previous episode. Like it was really um, a discovery for me. Uh, I listened to it. It was a great episode. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and then we also both really loved this essay that you wrote um, recently. And so um, I wanted to, for those of our listeners who haven't read it, and we all encourage you all to go and read it as soon as you can, um, uh, I wanted to sort of go through some of the ideas in this essay. And the title is pulled from the uh, quote by a Sudanese writer. Is that right? Um, it's, uh, it was inspired by the film, um, talking about trees, which, um, the title of which is actually taken from a verse, um, by, uh, Bertolt Brecht, um, which is referenced by one of the characters in the film. So it's a bit of a, <laughs> you know, yeah. A, a rich path for this yeah. idea to have to, to travel down, right? Yeah. yeah. And and sorry, can you remind me of the quote exactly? You know, I tried to pull up the article before we started, so, and yeah, couldn't, and um, the, so get it. So yeah, I mean, so the article is titled "What We Talk About When We Talk About Trees," um, and the the verse itself is um, from the poem called um, "To Those Who Follow in Our Wake," um, and it basically says there are different uh, translations for the poem from the German, but what it basically says is what what times are these? when a conversation about trees is almost a crime because um, it involves um, so uh, silence about so much wrongdoing, something along those lines. So, yeah, so it's basically about, um, you know, times like such, um, you know, challenging times when um, so many um, horrific things are happening um, and... Brecht, I think, as a poem was, as a poet was talking about, um, I mean, his own his own challenge as a as a as a writer who, um, who would normally like talk about nature and talk about trees and talk about things, but he feels that to talk about this at a moment like that, which is it was written, um, I think, with the start of the Second World War, so talking about such things at a time like that uh, just felt wrong. Yes, that 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 sort of art cannot not acknowledge or cannot sort of t- turn turn in on itself or turn away from the horrors of 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 the of the world. And you open the essay talking about some particular moments of what you call dissonance, mm-hmm. um, where you're trying to like experience uh, culture, whether it's an uh, an art gallery show or a movie. And at the same time, like what's happening outside uh, in in the world is sort of not allowing you 
or or is just like interfering maybe in a maybe in a necessary way maybe in in a good way with the kind of like artistic experience which which sometimes takes itself out of the out of the world so i wonder if we could talk a little bit more about this idea of like dissonance yeah i mean um uh, yeah, the the it, the piece that starts with the you know that I I was in the Guna Film Festival. Um, I was supposed to be covering it um, for Mada, um, and uh, we were watching a, a film while the um, September twentieth protests were, you know, happening on the streets of Cairo and Alexandria and elsewhere in Egypt. Um, and I was basically sitting there in the theater. Um, we were waiting for the film to start. Um, and I just couldn't stop looking at my phone and I couldn't help but feel that I just felt miles and miles away from what was happening. Um, because I'm technically I'm in Egypt, but nothing around me and nothing around me, um, reflects what is actually happening, you know, um, on the, what was actually happening on the streets in that moment. Uh, everything just felt so detached and I was, you know, sort of in that, uh, stuck in that tug, you know, between watching the film, which was a beautiful, it was a beautiful film. It was called You Will Die at 20. This is another Sudanese film. Um, And, you know, just following the protests and what was happening. Uh, And I just realized that this has happened to me so many times over the past two years where I would be, you know, exposed to a certain work of art um, and, and just can't react. I can't respond to it because it just doesn't speak to where I'm at right now um, or to my reality right now, which is perfectly fine. Um, I mean, when it comes to art, sometimes one goes to art particularly to escape reality, but I I do that a lot. But in certain moments, um, reality is just too compelling, and I just can't, like, I can't, I can't, um, break free from it. And in that moment, I feel like it is necessary to have art that challenges reality and to to help us break free of reality. But it is also necessary to have art that speaks to us about our, our realities in a different way and in an imaginative way. And just to speak to us about things, to speak to us about things that we don't know, but also about things that we know things that we know very well, but just, you know, that is just that feeling of relating to something. And I just couldn't, I could no longer um, feel it. And I just want to say that this um, this piece actually started, um, I was having a conversation with uh, Lina Atallah, who is our editor-in-chief in Madamastr, and I was telling her that I was really, we were discussing our coverage of the cultural scene and the section and all of that. And I was telling her that I'm just really disillusioned with the scene and with everything that is happening. Um, <clears throat> and I just feel like as, I, I was in a, it was a challenging moment for me. It was a tough moment. So I was telling her that it just feels a little dead to me. And I don't know how to interact with that. Mm. I don't know how to engage with that. And so she was telling me, okay, so I mean, like we, when, like we went on discussing it, and then she said, I feel like the best thing we could do right now is that you could just sit down and try to reflect on your feelings, like write an introspective thing where you acknowledge these feelings and try to like um, 
work your way through them. And it's going to be like, you don't even have to think of it being published. Let's just do it as an exercise where you do that and then just take a look and then we can discuss it again afterwards. And yeah, and this is how it started. So I was doing it as this exercise, um, mostly. Uh, because I was at that moment where I just felt disillusioned and I could not engage with the scene. Uh, at, at a time where the scene, the cultural scene, like the people practicing art in this place, in this moment in time, were a main inspiration for me over the past, particularly since 2013. Um, and I don't think, like with everything happening in Egypt at the time um, and the very heavy defeat we were feeling um, that year after what happened uh, with Rabah and everything. Um, I think it, it was also the year that I first started to focus on, in my work um, on arts and culture uh, and journalism. And, uh, and, it, it, and if it weren't for like the artists I met and spoke to the artists and the writers and the curators and the programmers and all of that, I don't think I would have you know, been able to make it in Cairo um, in the years that followed. So <clears throat> the culture scene, everything happening on it and the perseverance of people working in this sector here has been crucial um, for me, like being able to function in Cairo uh, over this past period. So to feel that I'm no longer able to engage with that was just really disappointing. Um, yeah, so this is how it started. So I was talking to Lina and she said, let's do that. Uh, and I did it. And I and and the the way it start, the 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 piece at first it started from a place of um, disappointment, maybe a bit of anger and disillusionment, as I said. But then as I <clears throat> went on writing, um, it started to take on um, more compassion. I just started to feel a lot more compassion towards. Um, towards the scene, towards the people working on it, towards myself. And I feel this is eventually where, um, and this is eventually, I think, the tone that it took, that I started to just write from a place where, okay, so I'm facing these challenges myself, um, and we're all facing them, and what can we do? I think one of the things that's interesting to me, both about the piece and what you're saying, is generally when we talk about sort of engaged art or art for the sake of art as these kind of two opposing camps. We're thinking about it in terms of someone making a personal choice, like I'm making a choice to make engaged art or I'm making a choice to only write about flowers. But on the other hand, like from what you're saying and from other artists I've interviewed, nobody has actually spoken about it personally as a choice. Mm -hmm. They've spoken about, like I I talked to the uh, Syrian poet Ghaith al-Madhun, who lives in Sweden now and who I, I think gets some sort of commentary from Swedish poets about, you know, who do write about flowers, um, you know. And he said he just, he, yeah, that's, he can't write about flowers, actually. Maybe in 20 years he can write about flowers. Um, but the idea of whether you're making engaged art or whether you can engage with, you know, sort of art that's completely doing something else, whether whether you can respond to it, that it's not an act, uh, an active choice necessarily, yeah. or it's one of a constellation of choices, maybe. Yeah. 
that if you want to be present, Mm -hmm. you can't also be absent at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely think that there does not have to be a distinction there. Um, And I think this is sort of what I was trying to say in the piece or what I discovered as I was writing, because I really had no idea where this piece was going um, as I wrote it. Um, But I feel, yeah, well, the idea is, or like I saw the, like, talking about trees in, in the context of that poem or in the context of that film um, um, was is, is portrayed sort of as a form of withdrawal, uh, you know, from public life or, like, engaging with what's happening around us. Um, but for me, it's it can be used as a, like, we can talk about trees, but as a way of talking about something else because if I talk about trees um, in my life from my own perspective uh, like honestly like how I perceive um, whatever it is you know like the trees or whatever is then then there's going to be something there that resounds and that uh, that touches um, what I'm going through and therefore what someone else is going through and and I think that's it. But for me, the argument was, okay, like if we can't di- directly engage with what's happening around us, then let then let's look inside and write about that, or or create something that has to do with that, or work on that. But like also go to the like also focus on the borders between what's inside and what's outside. Like if we're not gonna engage completely with what's outside, then okay, let's just stay at this border. Like, they start from inside and stay at this border where they both intersect because that border is just really rich and this is what it comes down to. Um, and, like, I don't want to... I, I don't want to... What, what, you, you were going to ask something, so go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say that I think it's really a, a lovely piece of writing and one that, like, made my day, honestly, the day I read it. Like, it just kind of... And it, it, you say you don't know where it was going. I didn't know where it was going as a reader, and you really feel the, like, movement of thought through it. Like, someone is, like, working their way through through ideas. Um, and I think it's strong because it 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 raises the question, of course, there is no answer or the answer has to be specific to each work of art. Like, should you, how much, in what way, acknowledge the context in which you're making this, um, the the context in which it's being watched, uh, you know, the elephant in the room, as, as you call it in the piece. Uh, like, it's like, it's like just good to have the awareness of that, mm-hmm. I think. And obviously there is no like sweeping, you know, answer like, oh, yes, all artists should be like explicit or political engaged. Oh, you know, no, since you can't or, you know, uh, you should art for art's sake. Like clearly it's 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 about the just the the constant engagement with that very question. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to you 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 sort of see it work by work, you know, whether someone manages uh, in what is like a really uh, difficult environment, not just I think difficult because you sort of uh, don't know what to say because you're sort of silenced by your own maybe hopelessness sometimes. And, and then because you're silenced by a lot of like practical questions of like, you know, 
how to share your work, what your who your audience is, like, um, you know, what kind of space you can even exactly. exhibit it in. Um, and that's another thing that you talk about in the in the in the piece is is the constriction of just platforms and spaces and venues for people to try stuff out mm -hmm, exactly um, at a low cost. Just you know, see what works for them and for others. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, we're both really lovers of downtown, and I think downtown, specifically as a neighborhood in Cairo, has lost a lot of its cultural venues. Yeah, it's it's years. really changing. Um, yeah, I I just want to go back for a go second on. to something you were saying. Yeah, like uh, about the fact the that there's no answer to the question of whether we should engage or not. There definitely is it, and and I think I, I view it as a burden that we have to deal with here. That we have to even ask that question. That we don't have like this absolute freedom to just create whatever. Uh, I, I, I felt it as a burden as a, as a person, you know, like receiving or consuming or experiencing art. Um, and I think it must be a burden to any artist working in this context to even to like to have to think so much about um, its value within such a context. Um, and well, so, so and I, contrary, always, I was, I feel as a disappointment in people who are at the center of empire mm -hmm. and who don't think about those things, you know, who do just go about creating their art without thinking about their context mm -hmm. or the context of their actions or about all these other questions that you're thinking about. So why is this? Okay, responsibility is the wrong word, but why why aren't these other artists? Um, asking themselves these questions as well. Right. You had this you had this reaction when we talked about this earlier and I think it's a really valid point is how come like an American artist for example it might not even occur to them the tension between like how do they put into their work the entire context of you know uh American imperialism or or racism or all the forms of injustice or of oppression of like planet killing like all the terrible things because it's not just the world is like not in a good place generally right it's not it's not just here it's because you're not being as directly negatively impacted often in in, in the west but yes why is it um that uh that that one has you know seemingly the freedom to like not engage at all with those things there's no call really no strong call i mean i think there some works do but it's certainly not something that people agonize over yeah it's definitely kind of a minority report i remember uh being in a class a poetry class or a nonfiction anyway a class and reading two poems, one was by Carolyn Forche and one was by someone else. And the in, the instructor of the class felt that Carolyn Forche, like pretending that she's so like worried about Iraq or whatever, was like um, put a put on or something. Whereas you know I I related to that work far more. Um, so that some I, I this is something that troubles me like. Mm -hmm. This is all of our shared planet. Why, yeah. why aren't we all? What the hell is wrong with the rest of us? I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a very big question, and I mean, you can apply it to, 
to so much even outside the art world and um but yeah but um i was just thinking of something else that a, a friend of mine um he 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 is also working in the in the in the field he's a filmmaker um who um after reading the the piece he spoke to me and he he brought up something that I think is very interesting as well and about about acknowledging context, not just in the content itself of what you're working on, but maybe like even if it's not in the content at all, but in the way in 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 the means of production themselves, like how you produce that work and in the your aesthetic choices uh themselves, like how they how they engage, how how um how they engage with the context or how uh how you can make them specific to to where you are to the place you come from to the things you're dealing with so that even if you are working on something that's abstract um you know content wise you can you can still make it somehow relate to where you are in how you make it and in the choices and the like the very aesthetic choices that you make in that um in that work regardless of content mm-hmm. so there are many and many ways to engage um yeah, and I think like it, and it reminded me of that quote. That's very, it's a very famous quote by uh, uh, Jean Luc Godard that says um, something about not like not making political films necessarily, but making films politically. Mm. You know, like right. the difference between both. Because because of course we've all seen work that um, you know you can't like you can't sort of stuff all the every 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 issue and everything of concern and every problem into your work and it's such a fine line and again i think it's sort of when when something that is quite politically explicit works and when it feels like heavy-handed or obvious or sort of yeah and i mean i would say the other thing that's a part of engagement and I think is is very difficult here right now is just being able then to take your work to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Marsha's here in Cairo for this conference on, on uh, popular culture in Egypt and I attended a bit of it and someone was mentioning this uh, widely regarded and awarded Egyptian film Yomedin, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen. Um, but they were saying that it just got a very limited distribution here and, and very few people saw it. But then it, it was uh, screened in like uh, for free in a provincial theater somewhere. And, you know, it's a kind of, as I understand it, a, a harsh story set in a rural setting. And and people were like, people said it's the first time we see ourselves on screen. Um, and I, I do believe in that kind of, I do think that like, um, artists who sort of want to make work that that shows people to themselves, and then they get to see, you know, and they get to comment and reject or or not. But trying to have that engagement, um, and it reminds me of the episode we just broadcast on the Moroccan filmmaker Ahmed Bouanani, who wanted to make like a Moroccan cinema for the Moroccan people, like back in the sixties and seventies, and and not sort of an image of the country that was like officially acceptable or internationally acceptable. He wanted a like, he wanted a a cinematic language Mm -hmm. to speak to his fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. And I think, but that's very difficult right now because it's hard to, to find ways to kind of share stuff. Yeah. Like how do you organize these kinds of things? You know, when there's 
no public space, basically. You want to set up a screen somewhere and have people come and watch, and it's definitely going to be regarded as something suspicious, and you're at risk. I mean, it might go by peacefully if you're lucky, but you're definitely at risk of, you know, attracting attention of authorities and having this whole thing shut down. Um, and and this happens. I mean, this happens all the time. Um, and, um, you know, things that... Uh, there were many festivals, or not, I mean, not, not many festivals necessarily, but there were things happening... Uh, that took place essentially on the street. Like there was this uh, festival called Fan Meden shortly mm. after the revolution. Yeah. And there was, uh, uh, you know, theater troops who would, you know, perform uh, on the street. Uh, there were many things and um, that um, absolutely have no space right now uh, to happen the same way. Uh, and uh, I mean, like even decaf, uh, the the downtown contemporary arts festival when it first started it had a very uh, um, active I think it was the most interesting part of the festival actually it was this uh, um, uh, segment that was uh, you know public art art in public spaces where they would you know have performances and uh, and uh, different events on and on the street. Um, and now it's not even happening the same way they still have that thing but it mostly I think takes place inside certain buildings. So it's like open for the public and everything, but it happens inside certain buildings that are, you know, old and being renovated right now and they're using them in different ways and they're mostly owned, I think, by uh, <clears throat> the company that sponsors the festival. Um, the Smalea for Real Estate, which is, uh, you know, I think... Um, um, a big um, element in uh, or a big factor in how downtown is changing, um, you know, or like the art scene in downtown is changing these days. Uh, so, yeah, so I mean, it's it's definitely, going back to your question, it's definitely different to, <clears throat> difficult to do that grassroots kind of s- stuff in this environment. But, but I think, you know, maneuvering, trying to maneuver and find ways to do things like that is actually the only thing we have left to do. So, I mean, it's it's risky. So I, I'm not expecting, like, people to do that. But at the same time, I don't know what else we can do, especially with the state of, you know, the cultural venues closing or, like, uh, being selective of what they... Um, of what they show due to, uh, you know, um, like avoiding uh, issues with security and stuff. Uh, and the state of film distribution is, you know, something that we <laughs> could have a full episode about, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, Yomidin did not have wide distribution, but compared to other independent films, it had really good distribution. It was distributed in, in um, I mean, it was commercially, re- commercially released for one in more than one, um, cinema, some films um, barely screen here at all, uh, or if they do, they just screen in Zawiya for like two weeks, and and that's it. They don't get any distribution elsewhere. But Yomidin, because of Cannes and you know all the international attention, it got um, it got more than that a bit. So wasn't enough, but right. it got seen by a wider audience than most independent films uh, usually get. And so, so 
one of the themes, I think, of this um, RC symposium that I was at for the last couple of days was the kind of closing down of spaces. But another one of them was, and Yumedin was one of the ways through which this was discussed, was like the tension between production for an external audience and and production for Egyptians, and not just in terms of film and art, but also in the whole structuring of what do museums mean? Museums are museums something that are for tourists, and that that's a sort of an outward-facing thing, and we don't have temporary exhibitions, and we don't have activities at museums. It's not a space, it's not a living space where we can talk about who we are and what our history is and where we're going. It's just like a static space where somebody can come look at the mm-hmm. mask of whatever, yeah. Tutankhamun. Um, and, and, and the same in films and other things is, is it, are we, you know, to what extent do we feel the, you know, of course the pressure of the powerful to, you know, clean up the image of Egypt, but also sort of internally to like put a, you know, N- not show our dirty laundry, etc., to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just this idea of like, are you, is representation sort of, is its purpose to sort of present a kind of sanitized, whether for commercial purposes, for touristic purposes, or for nationalist purposes, or whatever, kind of like, um, uh, a really an image in the sense of an image, like a, f- a sort of fixed ideal mm. of of what how things should be, that becomes almost like a denial of how things are in in, in its in its most extreme. And and I think you talk in your essay about like all the noise and all the silence, and clearly you know, and clearly what's missing in between is like just having conversations like not being spoken to not being told you know and 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 not having this kind of just constant hubbub but that actually doesn't allow anybody to say anything that's not generative at all yeah yeah and like where do you actually and I think you know clearly the problem is that that conversation is unwelcome like there's a bunch of people who you know the message is like we don't want to hear from you like yeah yeah, definitely uh, not I mean, like, conversations are happening, but they're just not addressing what's really important. Right. And almost that covers, and this again, maybe is a global phenomenon, and almost that is covers up so that you have talk, 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 but no, like, real conversation. Yeah, exactly. And and that's exactly my issue with, you know, like, things like people saying that the Cairo Film Festival is so great now because they brought Terry Gilliam and they brought blah, blah, blah and, and you know, all these important international guests or whatever who are holding panel discussions. But then, I mean, I just, I really don't understand what the value is of, you know, discussing certain, you know, logistical things about film or like even artistic things um, about film or like listening to the advice of all these professionals from other places. If we can't even think freely here, if we can't really write about what matters to us about our lives here. Um, Yeah. And that's, and that's my problem. Like the conversations are happening. You can go and you can listen and you can talk, but like, we're not addressing what's really important. Like, we're talking about, you know, applying to international film festivals and 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 co-production opportunities and 
and things like that. But like, but what about censorship? What about like, you know, getting my script off the ground to begin with? What about the self-censorship I practice when I'm writing? Because I know of the other films that have been stalled in censorship or that have not received permits to be screened or because of, you know, like many other things. So like, what about that? How are we going to talk about film and about, you know, these you know, late stages in, you know, like doing a film or like even about writing advice or whatever when we have this just like very clear obstacle that no one is addressing. And and, and there's no way we can we can find a way around it if we don't address its presence, if we don't acknowledge it. And that's the thing. I guess so so one of the things I I thought at the symposium that was maybe illusory was I was really interested in how the discussion of the censorship of cinema was much more out in the open. Whereas I feel like so often we really dance around censorship in the book industry because mm-hmm. officially there isn't any censorship in the book industry. Although, yes, there is censorship mm-hmm. in the book industry. Um, I think one can point to, for instance, Gerrit Lotfi very easily and publicly. Um, but it, but it, that it's a thing we don't talk about the mechanisms. Nobody says, I mean, nobody I know says anything in public. It's all in in private rooms, whereas there was a pretty open discussion of the mechanisms of censorship of cinema. But I guess that's a discussion with limits. Yeah, and because the mechanisms are maybe clear and and official, and I was sort of thinking as as you were talking that also, I mean, this situation in which one discusses kind of like the workings of the system, like the the sort of details, the technical details, the business side, the formal side of things, and somehow misses like some core issues of like power and the system. I mean, of course, here, the risk for actually doing it is completely different. But that dynamic actually takes place in, in so many places. I mean, politically and culturally, where it feels like you're sort of like, you know, uh, discussing the minute details without ever, you know, getting into the fundamentals. Mm. Um, or like what actually happens, you know, like we're we're always discussing, you know, what's on paper, like theoretically what's supposed to happen is you go and you submit your film and then someone's going to respond. and uh, mm. But this is not what happens. and And that's the thing. So, yeah, people are discussing, you know, like, the law or the the different mechanisms of the of how censorship works here like you go and you submit your film and you pay a fee and then someone gets back to you and blah 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 but but it will not be okay if someone starts to ask questions about why a certain film was was banned or was not granted a permit um and why uh, why the makers of why the filmmaker was never or like the distributor or you know the team behind that film never received an official rejection from the censorship board um and 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 that's actually the problem there are no standards there are no fixed standard standards as to um why or why a film will will or will not be um, accepted or granted a permit by the by the censorship board, uh, and and they just don't. And very often, they just don't give you a clear no, mm. and so there's nothing you can do about it. 
Yeah. You worked on your film and it's not going to be screened. I, I think one of the, so, but I think in general, in at most literary festivals around the world, or probably many film uh, festivals and workshops as well, there's such like an intense like focus on how you plot things or improved ways to write about dialogue or uh, how you pitch an agent uh, and these sorts of technical details without the essential elements of why are we even doing this and what kind of, of power of context were we writing or, in? Or labor conditions within the industry. Yeah. Or like look at it the way the American film industry, it was blown wide open a couple of years ago by like having like sexual assault and gender suddenly finally be discussed. It was obviously like an endemic part of the structure and something that like nobody had talked, you know. Um, yeah, I think, uh, th there are so many things that go unsaid and in, and in other contexts, it's just like, um, conformism and social pressure and economic pressure. And then I think, you know, people self-censor, I, I mean, I think this uncertainty about, um, what you can bring up leads to a terrible, like interiorizing, right. Of, of censorship. So you just, you know, um, you're just not going to you know, go to certain places and because it, you waste so much time and so much energy um, uh, trying to tell a story that then, you know, will feel kind of maybe squandered. I mean, it, it's, it's exactly. It's I mean, this is one of the main reasons I feel that that um, that are facing, you know, um, that, that artists find are finding it difficult to work here today. It's not just, you know, censorship or whatever imposed from the state, but also uh, how we censor ourselves or not necessarily censor ourselves, but just, you know, put all these obstacles, um, put all these obstacles in, in you know, in, in ahead of us when we're just even in the process of conceptualizing a project or an idea. But, like, we're thinking... Like my husband and I are thinking of making a film. We've wanted to make this short film for a long time that's based on a story that I wrote. Uh, and and we're just like, but how are we going to film this scene outside? Like Because the film, most of it takes place outside, like on the street. How are we going to film this? You know, And we've been thinking of this for a long time, for maybe more than a year. <clears throat> and eventually, like... And it's been, you know, in the back of our heads as we worked on the script and all of that. And eventually it just caught up with us. And we feel like, okay, we're probably not going to be working on this right now. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where we are at right now because, like, we just, we, we don't see a way. Like, we don't really know how this can work. And... And that's the thing. I mean, you have all well, these... Well, that's sad because the idea that you guys are working together on a project is very exciting to me. I mean, we're definitely going to work on something else. I mean, or or maybe this later, mm -hmm. or maybe we're going to find a way. But I mean, like, but this is a process that, that happens. I mean, and it just keeps happening. And even as you're working, and even if you decide that you're going to work and, you, and you're working, and it's, it's there. It's it's like, we we just don't know how we're going to film this. Right. Like, and, and, um... Yeah, and and then you also have to think, like we're gonna take the risk and we're gonna try and do this, but then we don't know how we're gonna, um, how we're gonna like where is this even gonna be screened? Is it gonna be you know how are people gonna watch it? And you have all these you know you're thinking about all these risks right. uh, later on, right? And the, and literature is somewhat easier in that way, right? 
So to yeah, distribute definitely. a book, you can kind of do it in more unofficial spaces and yeah. kind of hand to I hand. Mean, yeah, literature, I mean, it has its own challenges. and But for me, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's definitely more of a comfort zone than film because it also, like, what you put into it, I mean, like, you, you just, you sit there and it's you on the page and you write. And of course, it's, it's, it's hell. It's very difficult. But at the same time, you know, like, film, like, you have a, you have a crew, you have all these people that you have to work with. And it's just that, for me, I've, I've never worked on, worked on a film before. I love film. And it's, it's a very, very, very big part of my life. Um, and and for me, I feel like every film that gets made successfully is sort of a miracle of some kind. Right. That someone, you know, managed to, you know, get these people together and create something like that. It is just very, like, making a film is just really, really complicated in, in any context. Mm. So when you think of, you know, like, doing that here, and, it's a, and it's, a, it's a rough scene that requires a lot of, you know, choreography and, you know, different, and, you know, just finding the right actors and, you know, like, the... Is it is just it's it's a difficult it's challenging thing and thinking about filming it you know outside you know and that like how do you get the permits and can we do it without permits and you know it doesn't make it easier that it's a scene that involves a police officer things like that <laughs> I mean so you're thinking about all of this right uh, and you're trying to write a script because you want to apply for a fund somewhere right it's so just, what what made this story right to be turned into a film because uh, when I wrote it it was very. Uh, I, like the way it's structured is it, it it came to me as you know just a sequence of scenes uh and uh but this is the way I, when when I write fiction this is how I my mind works usually I just picture scenes and it's all very cinematic in my head and this story particularly is um it's just one continuous um one one like it has this one continuous flow you know it starts somewhere and ends somewhere but we're just with the with the characters um, mm. all throughout takes place over the span of maybe a couple of hours. Um, and it just felt right, you know, to do it. Uh, it just felt like I, I always envisioned it like that. Mm. That I, I think in cinematic terms when I'm writing all right. the time. And then you guys wrote the script together? Uh, yes, we oh. did. Yeah. And then, yeah, but it definitely, it was, it was the first draft. Mm. I mean, we applied for a couple of things, but definitely needs more work. Yeah, but... I'm not sure if we're going back to it uh, anytime soon, but mm. we'll see. <laughs> you finished translating his whole book? Uh, almost. Almost? Like, uh, there's one story left. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But there are also a couple of stories that he translated and I edited. Oh, okay. So, so it's a bit of a, yeah. An entire yeah. collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> I find it fascinating that, I, I mean, I think um, I'm a fan of my husband's okay, but definitely would never work with him on anything. <laughs> Or we would kill each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really I know quickly. what you mean. I worked with mine at magazines. Like, we were both editors. That that worked okay. Yeah. No, I definitely would kill mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not always easy, you know. Because, uh, uh, like, for example, I was supposed to finish this story, like, by the end of the year. And I haven't yet. And he's like, you know, he's not saying anything, <laughs> but I can feel these vibes, you, you know. You, you, like, can't, you can't exactly, like, not answer his emails. Yeah, just, like, like exactly. <laughs> so, like, it's just, yeah, so it's not very comfortable, but, yeah. But that's cool. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll look, we're looking forward to, to reading the full book. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I really, I really love that book, um, and uh, and it was just I, I've I've always been you know fascinated with the process of you know li- literary translation and um, translation in general. But I've o- I always felt like if I'm gonna um, like delve more into translation, then I would love to definitely dabble with um, literary translation. And I felt like that would be a good place to start. I mean, like my husband's collection <laughs> and he wants it to be translated anyway. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's been, um, I think it's been very rewarding. Um, and, uh, I was very happy when uh, you published that story that, um, that, uh, I worked on and, um, yeah, it's just very, very, uh, it's very challenging, but it's also very rewarding. And I, I really don't know if it's, uh, if knowing the person who wrote the text so well makes it easier or more difficult. Because, I mean, unlike, unlike, if, like other translators who are working with writers who, like, maybe they've never even met. Right. Uh, like, he's right. There, I can like go and ask him, and like, so like here, do you mean like this, or is it not like exactly like that, or do you, you know? And I and I and I mean, he's right there, but at the same time, I just feel like it's um, it's uh, it's scarier in a way. Um, not sure why, uh, but yeah, because the stakes are higher, or. I mean, I guess if I disappoint an author that I never have to look at again. Uh. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, or just maybe because you just like this, this is someone you know and you love. And uh, like the, so you just you really value like those thoughts and feelings and everything else that he put into those words. And you really, really want to... Mm. It's not, and I mean, of course you value the thoughts and the feelings of any author you're translating, but I mean, but like, it's different here. Like there's this intimacy and this. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's because you're married, but it's translated really beautifully. I don't know if it's because you like, you know, um, had that sort of like, um, ability to, to really, you know, uh, sense like what he meant and ask him what he did, but it's like really, really, really beautiful. I um I don't know maybe it's just because I I I really um I also just really love this I think I would say it's my favorite story in the collection and um and maybe it's just because it's very it's also very I mean yes he is my husband and everything and it's very close to me but it's it, the story itself is very close to me like the world um within which it happens the the characters that inhabit it and the um and and the way he wrote them and the way he the way he wrote it is just um it's all just very very close to me mm-hmm. so i feel um yeah so maybe this is why it was um so when you're choosing something either to translate or to publish a translation as an editor i mean what what is it what are you looking for what do you think needs to be translated should be translated ideally like it, Depends on like for the for the translation series we started in Mada lately, so it's mostly literary translations. Um, but with um, sometimes I also have to pick certain um, pieces that were articles that were written in Arabic, uh, you know, for 
culture section in Arabic, for example, or in other websites in Arabic that we have to translate, that I would like to translate for the English uh, culture section in Meda. So that's a, that's a different process, you know, picking articles and things like that, because there are all these journalistic factors, you know, and timeliness and blah, blah, blah. And, um, uh, and you think of, uh, your, your audience of English readers, whether this would be relevant to them or not, and, you know, things like that. Um, but with the literary translations, well, the, the idea was that, um, to give more attention to, um, works that would not necessarily get international attention, um, um, very easily, um, because, you know, like, usually with translations, it's, um, it's a matter of sometimes luck and sometimes it's about like who you know or what circles you move in and of course what you're writing about and I feel that often the interest comes from um you know like uh whether this this um work represents something about this place of the world and I really feel that this shouldn't be the standard because there's so many beautiful writing that may not be, you know, that sensational or um, representative or whatever that means. Um, it, it speaks solely of the author and the author's experience and the author's language. And that's fine because it's, and I think it should be valued for its singularity and its originality um as a literary work the way any other literary work should be you know valued Mm -hmm. rather than what it represents or what it says about this place right like I saw you chose uh prizes for heroes yeah um and I think the other component of that though is that since you've done an excerpt I think it will be easier for it to find an audience in translation as well so, yeah, because so I'm not familiar point, with this if, this, if this is a good example, could you say a little bit about this text? If I mean, if you want to as well. I mean, it's a it's a very acclaimed no, Egyptian novel, but also one that hasn't gotten this kind of, you know, Sheikh Zayed Book Award, International Prize for Arabic Fiction yeah. kind of yeah. boost. Yeah. Um, Even though it's also like it's it's about the revolution. Right. In a way. Um, but the, the thing is, the, the edge is that it doesn't idealize it or those who participated in it. Rather, it's, you could say it's very critical, you know, of... Uh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but interesting, I, I, I think in a, in a more literary way rather than a... Exactly, like it's all from the point of view of... Do you know what happened in Egypt in 2011? Yeah, it's not know? like that at all. It's it's just like this... Um, it's a protagonist and, you know, it's all from his point of view. Um, and, you know, he just... It's, you know, a dissection of where he was um, in that in that point of his life and his motives, you know, the, um, when it came to everything he did. Uh, within the revolution, he was involved with the revolution, of course, very heavily. But you know, so it's um, it's about him, yeah. but it's also about that. Um, so, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with his particular voice and the construction of him as a character. 
rather than, yeah, the construction of what happened in Egypt. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so do you do most of the translation for this translation um, series or it's different not people? Not really. Okay. Yeah, not really. That one was translated by... Um, by Zainab Magdi, who is a great translator. She's uh, she teaches uh, English literature, Cairo University. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she's a brilliant translator. So she did that, and we published two other installments so far. The first one was from um, um, the novel "The Ways of the Lord" by Shadi uh, Lees. Yeah, and it was uh, uh, translated by Lina Nasena and. Another one, uh, the last one was from the Commandments by Adel Esmat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, was translated by Caroline Christine Benson. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know her. Yeah, um, yeah. So that one, um, I think, like she, Caroline was already in the process of translating right. it. Yeah, um, and yeah, but like hopefully, like there, there's. I want to do. Uh, some of the translation, like some of the titles we have lined up, I plan to do myself. Um, and I also like definitely want to do like, because so far there's, there are like three male writers. I want to do more uh, women writers, hopefully. And yeah, uh, we'll see uh, uh, where it goes. Like one of the things I um, I would really, uh, um, like one of the titles we have lined up is a book by um, by a female writer called Jehab Basim. Oh, you know her, yes, right? Yeah, and it's been out for years and years. Yes. And I'm just really surprised that no one's ever translated it because yeah, she and I have talked about know, it. And, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, it's uh, it just came out at a very like the time when that book came out. I don't know, like what what how we would translate the title, but so you know, right. yes. like or like rice pudding for two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I think I think I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. It's from so, quite a while ago. It, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Mm. Yeah, but it came at a, it came out at a time where you know, like people were were blogging, and you know, there was this sudden interest in this new forms, these new forms of writing, and it just you know created something at the time. It it, it was significant, right? And there so, was also significant sort of, I don't know, like literary establishment scorn too, like exactly. Oh, these, what did she tell me? Somebody said, like, oh, these tissue, you know, these tissue novels, Kleenex. Exactly. Like, just blow your nose exactly. at them and throw it away. But it said something about the moment, you know, uh, and the fact that it was published by Shuru, which is, right. you know, like a very big publishing house. And is it written, it's written in colloquial or am I misremembering? So some of the other books that were based on blogs were like, the language was like mostly Amea? I, I would say, like, I haven't read it in a very, very long time. I read it when it first came out. But I think it's a mixture of both okay. in a way. So are you mostly focusing on Egyptian writers? Not necessarily. I mean, Hossein is Sudanese. Yeah. yeah, so not necessarily. Mm. But so it, it could be from anywhere. Yeah, anywhere in the region. Mm. Yeah. Like I'd love to... Um, I'd love to get more, but but this is the thing. I mean, like I'm not... I'm not uh, I'm not even reading as much as I'd love to. So yeah, I'm I'm mostly, you know, like I read what I can, but I also rely on, uh, you know, people recommending things or like uh, sending stuff over. And so, yeah, so we'll see what happens. But I'm definitely open to, uh, 
to res to publishing stuff from uh, yeah from right. The, well, you're now in danger places. of getting like six thousand submissions from writers around the world. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now that you've been on Bula, you're going to be inundated. <laughs> no, I don't know, but I get 6,000 submissions from writers around the world. Well, No, but like your thing is, you know, like you're pioneering, you know, something like you're an actual, like Arab Lit is such a, yeah, I've been, <laughs> sorry, I've been, I'm fangirling on you because I've been oh. such a fan, you know, for such a long time. Well, I think it's, this, it's so great what you're doing. I at mean, this like, symposium, it was very nice. embarrassing because yeah. uh, Nadira... Uh, Mansour was was she on the panel with me or mm -hmm. okay so she says I've been reading Arab Lit since I was a child yeah like what I'm not am I that old I guess I am that old well whatever I wasn't a child but it was like in the <laughs> <laughs> but like definitely since my like very very early 20s you know like so and and it's been it was just very I mean, I find out about certain titles, uh, Arabic titles from your website. Like, I, I don't even, like, I hadn't even heard about them in Arabic, but then they're there and there's an excerpt from them. And it's, it's just so great. Yeah. And, and all the other material you publish, mm. you know. And and yeah. No, so now Marsha's just kind of descended into, you know, <laughs> modest <laughs> silence. Yeah. And silence. But yes, yes, yeah. we all agree um, that uh, it, it is it is indeed pioneering and a resource for like definitely all definitely. of us. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and, and, and so is Mada, by the way. And something like the translation series is is like yet another one of these endless examples in which it like always stretches itself in like some new direction um, and and just keeps like trying things out in a way that I think is really rare for like any publication. Um, and, uh, and so that is also somewhere like someone like me who's like, you know, reviews books and tries to kind of keep up and like you cannot at all read all the things that I, that I want to, will be like looking there to, di to discover new folks. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to do it, you know, consistently and, uh, you know, just feature, um, diverse titles and yeah, so it can be from anywhere in the, in the region, but, um, like anywhere, anything in Arabic basically, okay. but, uh, but it, um, but something that's already been published in Arabic. Right. You know, oh, so like a book that's appeared. Yeah. Yeah. But it's appeared in, in Arabic, but has mm -hmm. not yet been right. translated. So I would suggest partly because I have to catch an airplane this <laughs> right. afternoon that we can we can take our mutual plans also to like continue expanding and and complimenting each other, <laughs> especially you guys. You guys know each other's I mean complimenting not in the sense of giving compliments, but being complimentary. Right. Like uh uh being part of this ecosystem um off off offline now maybe all right yeah yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense thank you so much no, for being part of this so we much, really appreciate guys. it thank you so much for hosting me that was so great mm. yeah it was great to meet you in person and and we hope to do something like this again and we hope to be in cairo again soon i, I think so both of us yeah so, so if you would like to sponsor our trip to cairo <laughs> please email yeah all right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.